Should you be deterred by low sales or the wrong niche? Stay tuned and find out. Welcome. Okay, here's the question. Are you serious? How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up, what is up, what is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of James Bond Encyclopedia Learning. Yep, more about that here shortly. Who am I? Well, I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman. And you? Well, that, my friend, to me is intimately more important. You are a driven entrepreneur or business owner, or maybe both, or maybe you're just hoping to be one soon. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business tips and results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. Now today we get an interesting episode with Steve Rubin. Steve Rubin is going to be sharing about growing up as a movie kid, doing what you love, being willing to work on sequels, and picking the right subject. That and so much more. Plus, I want to let you in on a little little tidbit of next week's interview episode guest who pivoted to online karaoke. (laughs) As per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal, business, and marketing, G-O-L-D, spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my Dark Horse friends and family, today's guest is Steve Rubin. Now, Steve hails from Chicago, Illinois, USA, right? And is known for his work on Bleacher Bums from 2001, Silent Night from 2002, and My Suicide in 2009. Yeah, he's a film producer kind of guy. Actually, if you look at his credits, he's got this long laundry list of credits you can see on IMDb. Uh, He's also the founder and president of Fast Carrier Pictures, which is an independent film and television production and development company based out in LA, as well as being the author of the James Bond movie encyclopedia. And there's so much more going on behind the scenes here, but we're going to let Steve tell that story. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. And the first thing I like the guests to do is just kind of tell their story, right? Whatever it is you feel is the cool, heck, then you need to be cool. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the rights, the lefts. That kind of brought you to where you are today and why you love doing the things that you've loved doing over the years or, or now even. Sure, sure. Well, I'm happy to be here, uh, Tracy. It's always fun to talk about my world. Um, I guess I grew up a movie kid. Uh, my parents were big movie lovers uh, from the ages of uh, five to about 11 I lived across the street from a movie theater. Oh, nice. So literally, I walked to the, the, the stadium cinema in West L.A. every Saturday morning and saw two films. was practically there the whole day. And then my parents took me to the movies at night. So I, I kind of grew up a movie kid. I mean, the movies were very much a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to UCLA as a history major. <clears throat> I was always fascinated with historical events. I wrote for the Daily Bruin. Uh, started interviewing people. And when I got out of college, I decided to write my first book. And they always say, write a book about something you love. And it had to be a film book. I happened to pick a kind of esoteric topic. My first book was entitled 
combat films, American realism, 1945 to 1970. And it was uh, all about the filmmakers who made the great World War II movies. Now, I had seen them all, and my film school, in a way, was interviewing these filmmakers. Mm-hmm. You know, for classic films like The Great Escape, The Longest Day, um, Patton, uh, Walk in the Sun, 12 O'Clock High. Um, And then shortly after that, I started writing for a Chicago film magazine called Cine Fantastique, which was the first film journal to cover the world of science fiction, fantasy and horror. I I once again picked some of my favorite films to write about, films like The War of the Worlds. Uh, Day of the Earth Stood Still, Forbidden Planet, Them. And these are all movies that um, I just did a lot of forensic research in, uh, going to the original filmmakers and interviewing them, many of them for the first time. So I was getting a lot of positive feedback and uh, I was kind of cementing my passions about film history and being a film historian. But there was a little bit of a frustration because I wasn't making any money. You know, if I was going to continue to write combat film books, which sold about 500 copies, I was going to be living in a tent on Hollywood (laughs) Boulevard. So uh, I managed to uh, find my way by getting what we call a day job. And I fortunately had a day job in entertainment. I was a film publicist. I worked uh, I, over the period of about 30 years. I worked on over 150 films and television shows. Uh, I, it's funny. They would always assign me as a unit publicist, which is a discipline within a crew. You know, when you go off to location to make a movie, you bring a unit publicist with to handle all the PR functions. Okay. So I, I would always be interestingly assigned the sequel to a big hit. So I did Porky's 2. Oh, my gosh. I remember I, that. <laughs> sure. I did Weekend at Bernie's 2. I did Eddie and the Cruisers 2. I did Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which was the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I, right. I, did, I did Pretty in Pink, which was not a sequel. And I did about a, a bunch of other pictures. The last 10 years of my career, I worked for Showtime. And that's where I was able to make my producing debut. I produced a feature film for Showtime called Bleacher Bums. It's a baseball comedy based on a play written by a bunch of Chicago actors, including Dennis Franz and Joe Montaigne. Mm -hmm. We shot that in Toronto in 2001. And then I did a World War II drama for the Hallmark Channel called Silent Night. Going back to my passion for World War II stories, I found a true story of a German woman who held a truce in a cabin in the Ardennes on Christmas Eve 1944 with American German combat troops. They broke bred together, sang songs together, and left as friends in the morning. True story. Nice. So that was nominated for four television uh, Academy Awards in in Canada. And so ever since then, ever since the mid-2000s, I've been writing my film books and uh, pursuing my desire to produce films and television shows. James Bond came into it very early in my career because my father used to come home from business trips when I was 12 years old and he'd leave a, a Western for me to read. And I had no interest in reading Westerns. But one day he dropped a book on my desk with a naked woman on the cover. It was called Goldfinger. Mm. And uh, she was covered tastefully in gold paint. And I said, what is that? And so I started reading Goldfinger at a time when most of my middle school classmates were reading James Bond novels. It was the season. It was 1964. 
that Christmas, they released Goldfinger, at, and I went to the Chinese theater in Hollywood to see it with my parents. Nice. And that was big event filmmaking. I mean, to, to make Goldfinger your first James Bond movie, quite an experience. And they, then later, after realizing that I could only sell 500 books at a time for a combat films book, I wrote my first James Bond book, which was called The James Bond Films, A Behind-the-Scenes History. And that sold 50,000 copies on its first publication. So I hit, a, I hit something that actually made me some good seed money, although I could still not make a living from it. Uh, <clears throat> and then my current book, The James Bond Movie Encyclopedia, which is out now, up to date through No Time to Die, uh, is the actual fourth edition of a formal encyclopedia I publish every few years on the James Bond movies. And this latest edition, which is available through Amazon, the James Bond movie encyclopedia has full color inside and some wonderful paintings donated by my friend, Jeff Marshall. And I'm very pleased with the book. So I'm all about Bond as well. And certainly enjoying the time now with the new Bond movie opening. Nice. So there's a lot to unpack there. That's, that's so cool. I mean, you have covered a, a wide range of not just areas, but just raw topics from the WW2 movies, right? I, I love me a good war movie. And I grew up with a father, probably much like yours, that enjoyed the Westerns. I would read all the Western books, uh, but love to watch uh the Rifleman, Gunsmoke, Bonanza. Those are the series, obviously. And then all the movies that would come out on top of that. Uh, I wasn't lucky enough to live across the street from the theater. I was a couple of blocks away, but certainly uh, movies played a big part of my growing up. I think my was probably just a few years behind you. I can remember Cinefantastic being one of those magazines I started picking up as a, as a teenager and, and reading about all the monsters and everything that was coming up and getting a, a, a I guess, a bit of a sneak peek behind the, uh, the curtain uh, in the industry, right? You can see the makings of things, uh, the, the, the makeup, the whole nine yards, which I always thought was, was fascinating. And, and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty riveted by this, but I want to loop back to um your books, the the James Bond's books, fifty thousand copies. That's that that's no uh, that that's something that, that you say that proudly, right? Thump your chest a little bit, right? You should. Uh... Well, it, that, in those days, and we're talking about the early nineteen eighties, it was still possible to sell film books at that level. I think we've gone to a new area now. It's much tougher to sell movie books because a lot of the information is available mm. online. People are less apt to buy books like that now. Um, I'm hopeful that my latest book will sell good numbers. I don't know if we'll get it to 50,000. That would be great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, uh, well, first of all, if you're reaching a large audience, and that's the nice thing about the James Bond movies, mm -hmm. I picked a subject that cuts across generations, yeah. cuts across, across all demographics. Grandfathers are seeing the movies with their grandchildren. And one of the things I always stipulated was the, the, the reason that the James Bond film series has succeeded all these years is partially due to the fact that in, at their core, they are still family movies. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that they're Disney movies. That's right. not true. Right. But there are PG-13s that you could take, take your grandmother to and your eight-year-old, and you're going to come out with an entertainment, a, a sense of entertainment, which I think is exciting. And I'd say that the James Bond movies are probably one of the few guarantees 
that you get in the film business of pure entertainment. Even though all the movies have not been terrific, there have been a few that have been less than. Um, generally, there's always something there to have fun with. Yeah, 100%. And I think one of the cool things about it is if anyone has taken the time to, to watch any of the earlier films or read any of the earlier books and then watch the more recent ones, and I haven't seen the new one that's come out, obviously, but uh, um, th there's a same like you said, a constant thread in there beyond just the entertainment value, but there's the same core of who the character is, right? Yeah, James Bond is James Bond. He hasn't really changed much over the decades. In, in my view, you, you think the same thing? Pretty much. I think that the, the, the movies have changed their emphasis. Mm -hmm. I would say they're less sexy today and more violent to kind mm -hmm. of reflect the times. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the humor quotient, which was always present, particularly with the Roger Moore films, yeah. has nearly disappeared. There's virtually no humor in the Bond films anymore. And I think that some of the fans are a little disappointed with that. But I think we're living in a world where realism is prized. Mm -hmm. And in, in the daring do of a secret agent fighting international terrorism, not a lot of time for levity. Yeah, that's true. And then I think a lot of times in uh, in the movies these days, it seems like they keep trying to one, -e one up each other when it comes to stunts or tricks or CGI or or whatever else, because that that grabs, I guess, grabs the audience uh, across the board. OK, so I have to ask, right, who's your favorite Bond? Who what actor? Do you favor for when it comes to Bond? Well, I, I usually uh, tell people that you love the Bond you grew up with. Yeah, that's so, so true. So obviously, Sean Connery was mm -hmm. my guy yeah. from the get-go. Uh, I love Sean, but I will say this, that I've become a huge fan of Daniel Craig. Mm -hmm. You know, He's a different kind of a Bond. He's a kind of a, a little thuggish at times. Mm -hmm. He's not the polished guy in the three-piece suit, you know, waltzing through the casino with a martini in his hand. You know, he has that great line in, uh, in Casino Royale where after losing all of his money against Le Chief, he goes to the bar and the bartender says, how would you like your martini? And he says, do you think I really care? And, you know, it's that <laughs> kind of <laughs> I mean, Craig is Craig is Craig. He's molded the character in his own way. And I've asked from the get-go, I thought he's been terrific. Yeah, 100%. I have to agree with you on that one. So have you have you looked at, have you considered taking this amazing content you have in these books for uh, for the bonds, uh, for all, all the all that bond content and turning it into, uh, I don't know, some sort of digital media, as opposed to just putting it into a book? So I imagine there's probably lots of great behind the scene things that maybe fell on the writer's floor or something like that. Cause I could just, I could almost see, cause you were mentioning in, in today's age, so much of the information is out there, but if you can cume that into one spot to book and have videos and a whole nine yards, there may be some opportunity for you there to say, Oh, well, here's the book, or you can come to this, you know, see everything bond website.com or whatever. Well, I, I will admit that I am a bit of a maverick. Even mm. though I got complete cooperation from the uh, Bond people back in the day for my first book, we kind of had a little parting of the ways back in the uh, early days. So sure. for the last 40 years, I've pretty much carved my own little niche. Mm -hmm. If I went to ask them for permission to use certain video materials and the kind of things that are on the formal websites, I probably would not get that. 
Ah. So, but I am pushing myself now to look for more uh, classic film curatorship type opportunities, kind of like what Ben Mankiewicz does on Turner Classic Movies, where you mm. introduce films and talk a little bit about the making of them. Uh, that's kind of a goal I have. I really uh, am, am ambitious. And then I, I'm going to shortly probably start doing my own podcast uh, called Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies, where I ah. review classic films. I do that on Facebook right now, and I'm having a lot of fun with that by revisiting some of my favorite movies and telling people things they may not know about them. Absolutely. And sometimes just revisiting the movies and 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 pointing out different things that you, you've seen the movie 87 times or whatever. You're like, how did I miss that? I know growing up with all these great movies you've already mentioned, even the uh, things like, uh, you know, uh, Pretty in Pink. I still love that movie to this day. And then there's some of the movies that are from that same genre, like, oh my goodness, what was, was there Pretty in Pink? There was 16 Candles, that whole little Breakfast crew. Club. The Breakfast Club was huge, right? Oh, sure, and it, sure. uh, St. Elmo's Fire, you go back and rewatch some of those uh, a, a second, third, fourth time, and you start noticing little little bits and pieces of it. You're like, ah, that's kind of cool. Probably much like it's deep into your uh, encyclopedias for bonds, sharing that kind of, I could just see the podcast being huge if you start going and sharing that with everybody. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think I, I have to say this about the film industry. It was more fun back then. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't say that we don't make great movies today, but we're not making enough fun movies today that mm. really just go for mindless entertainment. You know, we're very good at presenting issue filmmaking and we're very good at taking the dark side and showing the, the darkness of humanity. Yeah. That's not why I go to the movies uh, from the various the very first time I used to walk across the street to the stadium. I looked for escapist entertainment, whether it was a science fiction film or a war picture or a historical epic. I kind of went to the movies to, to forget about the real world. And I think yeah. that what's happened in Hollywood, aside from the Marvel universe and all the science fiction films, a lot of the movies that get made today are really issue oriented. Or they're dealing with important issues and that they do a very good job of presenting these things. But that's not why I go to the movies. That's that's a great point. It's funny is uh, my wife and daughter and I were discussing some of the uh, issue motivated uh, content we've seen in movies and it's really I, I think what's really brought it to the uh, uh, to the forefront for us is obviously the recent events with COVID and all the political nonsense that's been happening over the past what almost two years now 18 months or so and it makes you think back oh wow that's kind of like what was shown in this movie or shown in that movie and you know they were kind of I don't know forewarning us maybe <laughs> when you think about some of these things like wow they were talking about uh you know this kind of election uh, fraud in this movie we watched back and then you think about movies like oh wag the dog or or any of those other things like you know like you said it, it's a lot of issues being presented here's a, here's an interesting question and you know if you don't want to answer i, I get it do you think they do a good job presenting it or they do a good job presenting their point of view of the issue? Well, I think that a lot of young filmmakers who get the opportunity to produce their films either independently or however they get it out there mm -hmm. uh, usually have a strong point of view. And I think that, uh, that whether you like it or not, that's what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I understand that. I mean, if you really want to say something and you have a great story to tell, you should go about and saying it. And I think that 
I think that uh, I, I admire anybody who can get a film. It is so difficult to get a movie made. I know firsthand because I'm out there every day trying to sell films and television shows. I've become a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. I work with two different partners. We've got a lot of projects we're trying to find traction with. I know how difficult it is to get anybody to say yes to anything. So anybody who can get a movie made deserves my respect. Uh, you know, I think we all have to respect that. But I just think that um, Hollywood's lost its way a little bit. I think mm -hmm. we need to go for more fun entertainment. Uh, I always quote, uh, I say that films like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Night at the Museum, these are movies that are great family entertainments. Yeah. And they, they, even the National Treasure movies that Nicolas Cage did, those two movies were just, just really a lot of fun, they were. very quotable uh, I don't think we make enough of those. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. 100%. 100%. All the way across the board. I, I, I agree with you. It's, if someone is able to get their movie out there, and it, like you said, it they're going to have a point of view they're trying to express. And, and, and I'm 100% on board. I don't have to agree with your point of view, but man, if you have that point of view, own it and just get it out there 100%. And yeah, the movies, National Treasure. I love those. You almost want to go, wow, how much truth is in those movies, right? <laughs> I was, I really think about that because we just paid a visit to uh, Mount Rushmore a couple of months back and to go see a conference up there. And we went to go visit, obviously, the, the monument. And uh, I was asking the, the, one of the uh, tour guides there about the uh, tunnel in the back. You know that, that was was dug out that, that I remember from the movie, and I didn't know about it until that movie came out, and, I, and I, that made me go look it up. And it's like that actually exists. Of course, you can't tour it, but there is a a little uh, stone. I think it's a little granite monument placed at the the uh, opening to this tunnel that goes back behind the foreheads. And I'm like, all right. I get to I get to think all the fanciful things from the movie, but uh, I like how some of the fun movies, like you were saying, they take a little of the truth of day to day life and they just expand on it and have a good time with it. it Weekend at Bernie's was another great example of that. I know, <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. It's funny you should mention Mount Rushmore. I took my mother in law there. And we were just driving down the highway. And then all of a sudden, there it is. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fun. Of course, whenever I see the Washington, the, the Mount Rushmore, I think of Cary Grant and Eva Marie Saint being chased by Martin Landau and North by Northwest. Yes. Which, of course, is a, just a classic movie, very much like a James Bond movie in some ways. Uh, just uh, I love history. I've always uh, enjoyed kind of bringing history and film history and all that pop cultural history together. It's just fun to explore it and, and talk to the real people. One of the joys of writing for Cinefast Fantastique back in the late 70s is I got a call one day and a friend of mine in uh, San Francisco could not make it down to interview Alfred Hitchcock. And he literally said to me, Steve, would you mind interviewing Hitchcock? <laughs> Stop it. So I was one of the last people to interview Alfred Hitchcock. We were doing our big retrospective article about the birds. Mm -hmm. And I went to Universal. I sat in his office and I spent an hour with Alfred Hitchcock. How cool is that? How cool is that? It's funny. I just watched that movie last week. I was down in the conference in St. Louis and it came on. I'm like, I haven't seen this movie for three decades. Easy. And even today, uh, sitting down and watching that movie, it still has that same power that it had when it first came out. It, and it, there's you know, the special effects were minimal, 
right? Obviously the birds with some double exposure, but what have you, but just his ability to hold you and, and lead you and guide you through this story and keep you in suspense and then, then drop it on you. It's, uh, it, he was masterful at it. He was, he was. And uh, I've been to Bodega Bay. I was there back in the seventies and it's kind of a little bit of an eerie place. Lots of birds, of course, and yeah. shipwrecks off the sea. I mean, it's a very bad shipwreck coast. Uh, it's always interesting to visit places where they've made movies and to kind of sense what was, uh, you know, what was that all about? I remember taking the family. We went to Italy a few years ago and we were on the water down the Amalfi Coast and somebody pointed out that there's Salerno. And I immediately said, Salerno, wait a second, isn't that where A Walk in the Sun took place? And that was one of the movies in my combat films, mm -hmm. about the landing at Salerno in, 19, Salerno in 1943. Yeah, I found if, if there's always interesting things to find out about the making of movies. And I still, I'm still, you know, plumbing that. And of course, with the new Bond movie, uh, which has a fascinating history of trying to get out. I mean, obviously, we've been waiting for over a year for to see this movie. And I saw it on Tuesday. And uh, let me tell you, your listeners, um, go see it on the big screen. Do not yeah. wait for this to come to television. I know everybody's a little, uh, you know, concerned about COVID. But uh, I, I, I think that when you watch a James Bond movie for the first time, you got to see it on the big screen. Come yeah. on. 100%. I totally agree with you. And, and so many of those uh, of those classic movies, well, not just classic movies, so many of the good movies, even like you mentioned earlier, some of the Marvel movies, they have a different experience on the big screen than they do. Even if you have a big screen at home, it's 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 a little it's a lot different. Oh, it is. It is. I remember going to the movies to see that Sandra Bullock, George Clooney movie, uh, Gravity. Oh, and you, yeah. could, you could hear a pin drop in the theater as you watched every little bit of that movie. And uh, the movie came on television. I sat down to watch it on TV and all I heard was the, the sink dripping and the toilet flushing <laughs> and my neighbors screaming and the dogs barking. Yeah, it completely took me out of that. It takes movie. you out of the moment, right? <laughs> it, 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 here, that, that actually led me to a, a Interesting question. There's been a, a couple of cool movies over time, and I, I could sit here and chat movies with you all night long. Of course, I'll be mindful of your time, right? <laughs> but over the years, I've seen a couple of movies where the bulk of the movie is a single character. There was one, oh, who's his name? Was it Ryan Reynolds? I think it may have been Ryan Reynolds, who he was buried alive, like somewhere in Iran. I can't remember the name of the movie. And he had, like, it, was his called, it was called Buried. Buried. Okay. And he, I mean, pretty much he was the movie, right? I mean, there was some voices on the phone and maybe a couple of other scenes, but, and then there was another one phone booth uh, that right. came out where obviously he had some other characters playing, but the bulk of the movie was him um, in that phone booth, holding your attention that whole time. Movies like that, I think really test an actor's power, as well as a writer for that point, to be able to hold your attention and keep that, like we were saying, that Alfred Hitchcock suspension, keep you on the edge of your seat. What do you think about those kind of movies? Oh, I love the. I just watched one uh, last month. I finally caught up to that Robert Redford movie where he plays a yachtsman who is out there in the middle of the ocean and he gets into a storm and he loses his mast and he's He's trying to figure out how to survive on this boat that's rapidly sinking. He's all by himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, yeah. Well, of course, the, the, to me, the, 
the ultimate is Tom Hanks and uh, Castaway. Yes. To this day, <laughs> I think is one of the greatest movies ever because you completely identify with this guy who's used to a world. Boom, 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 boom. Everything works organized, everything. And he's thrown out on this island and he's got nothing. Yeah. Except for, except for those boxes of FedEx express right. parcels. <laughs> and eventually he had Wilson, right? <laughs> and he got Wilson. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's heck of funny. We were watching um, a series called Outlander and uh, about season three, uh, a, a, I'll call him a crazy guy, uh, was talking to a, it was a coconut that only had the fur at the top. And as soon as I saw him talking to this coconut, I said, oh, look. He's talking to a Wilson. <laughs> it instantly took me back to to Tom Hanks. That, by the way, that's that's a great series. Uh, I, I have to say that I've become a big Outlander fan over the seasons. It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. And I uh, love the actors who play the two leads. Uh, both of them are just wonderful. In fact, uh, Sam Hune, who plays uh, Jamie, um, he's been considered as a possibility to replace Daniel Craig as James Bond. Uh, really? One of the guys. I, I certainly, you know, in the quest to find a new James Bond, they they look at literally everybody in the Commonwealth. Sure. I mean, it's just, there's so many actors being considered. I know that one of the people right now is Henry Cavill, who we already know as Superman, mm-hmm. who's also in The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they choose. I'm kind of hoping for another Daniel Craig type who is not well-known and can kind of mold the uh, character into his own. At the end of the day, we're really trying to cast a secret agent. So he should have a certain mystique about him. No, that's, that's fire right there. I have to keep, keep my eyes open on that. Well, like I said, I could be, I could sit here and yuck up movies with you all night long, but I want to be mindful of your time. You've mentioned a couple of your books that are going on. Is there any place if folks want to learn more about your, your James Bond books, maybe even your World War II books or anything else that Steve Rubin has going on? Where do we want to send them to? Okay, well, I think that for me, uh, probably Amazon's the best place to buy my books right now. I know a lot of bookstores are are out of the book because they yeah. sell and then they don't order them fast enough. So uh, Amazon has both my uh, book, The James Bond Movie Encyclopedia. Also, my previous book, which I'm very proud of, is called The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, I did a formal A to Z on The Twilight Zone. I believe that's also available on Amazon. Um and then, of all things, I've got a children's picture book, which I uh, I also should be thumping a little bit. I wrote it with my friend David Lee Miller. It's called The Cat Who Lived with Anne Frank. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, it's the story of the attic in Amsterdam, but told from the point of view of the little cat that lived in the attic with Anne. And it was Peter's cat, you know, the boy who also shared that space. And mm-hmm. we got a lot of positives from that that book. And it's actually inspired us to write an animated feature, which we're out there uh, trying to sell right now. It's called Mushi, as was the name of the cat. And it was a real cat. I mean, Anne, if you read the diary of Anne Frank, Anne writes about Mushi a lot. So uh, I thought that um, that's another book that's available from Penguin. It's called The Cat Who Lived with Anne Frank. Uh, my combat films book is still available from McFarland. You need to go on the McFarland uh, com. Uh, and then I have a strong Facebook presence. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that on Saturdays, 
I do a classic film review called Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. Mm-hmm. I do that on Facebook. I also have the James Bond Movie Encyclopedia page on Facebook. And then I just have my regular Steve Rubin page on Facebook. Uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram. All right. I'm going to make sure we get all those uh, all those links in the show notes so people can just click on down below the uh, po- the podcast episode and get right over to you. Steve, man, I definitely, I, I've enjoyed this conversation more. I knew I was going to have a good time given your history, but man, it, it was even better than that. Well, let me ask you a question, Tracy. Go ahead, hit me. I, I was asked this of my friends who are big film buffs. You're, you're going to be spending a time on an island like Tom Hanks. You're allowed to bring one film with you to watch forever. What movie do you bring to the island? Oh, my goodness. Mm. You know what? If you'd asked me that question probably 20 years ago, my answer would have been completely different. But I would probably bring Troy. To, oh, with, wow. Okay. I would bring Troy with me because I just, I could sit, I, I actually have sat and watched that movie at least 40 times and I'm not bored of it. I can sit there and watch it over and over and over again. Absolutely. That, that defines epic filmmaking. I just watched it recently and, uh, oh yeah, no, I hear you. My, mine actually is also an epic film. Uh, one of the World War II films I, I did in my book, uh, The Great Escape. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on the topic of World War II, uh, the last question I'll, that I'll bother you with here is uh, one of the epics to me, and it's a, it's a newer movie. I've seen a lot of the older ones, and obviously you, you can't sing their praises enough. But one of the ones that really kind of hit home for me, my father was a, um, a 23-year Army veteran, Korea, Vietnam. My grandfather fought as well, so I joined the service. I'm all about those good military movies, and I critique hell out of them right and then i saw saving private ryan and that movie took me somewhere else and i was i mean from from jump street right that first scene everything's going down you're like oh what's going on here then they take you on this store and you're following these guys around i was there right what did you think of that when it comes to telling a not, maybe not a historical perspective, but certainly telling the story of that era. Well, first of all, you're, you're, you're now talking about my favorite World War II film. I mean, <laughs> after, after covering all those films all those years, I went to see that. And uh, I've, I've been very interested in the movie. I was actually um, lucky enough to pitch the L.A. Times on doing a 20-year retrospective to it two years ago. Mm three years ago, actually, in nine, in 2018. So I got a chance to interview both Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and most of the guys who played the squad. And uh, I learned so much about the making of that movie. That that movie combined a great story with Steven, Steven Spielberg's filmmaking abilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go all the way back to Jaws by, re, you know, the, the way Spielberg likes to film, he puts you in the movie. You yeah. feel... Like you're in the water being chased by that shark. Well, he applied that same technique to Saving Private Ryan. When Tom Hanks jumps off the landing craft and falls in the water when they land on Omaha Beach 
and you hear the sound disappear as the bullets are flying, yes. you're on that beach. And everything in that movie resonated for me. Uh, I thought it was just just spectacular. You know, a little numbing at times. I remember yeah. going into the movie theater with a big box of popcorn. I didn't touch that popcorn for the first 20 minutes of the movie. Right. I thought it was sacrilegious to eat anything while these guys are getting mowed down on Oh, my God, beach. right? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely... I actually, because at the time I had uh, two younger girls, I think one was an early teenager and one was five years her junior. Uh, so when I first went to go see it, I went to see it by myself, right? And I'm like, because I want to be here. I don't want to be, you know, looking around, tending to attend anybody. And obviously, I didn't, because of what I had read about it at that point, I didn't think it was, I wanted to bring my girls to that movie anyway. And I went to one of the later uh, airings of it and it was, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and maybe a handful of people in there. And let me tell you, I would like you, I just sat there. I, I know my mouth was hanging open and my eyes were bugging out for that first 20, 25 minutes. And then, like you said, he, ah, he lets you breathe before he starts taking you on that journey through uh, what uh, what's about to be the saving of someone, you know, of Private Ryan, actually. Uh, so, yes, amazing movie. Amazing movie and plays and plays and plays. Usually if I'm channel surfing and I come across that, I'll stop for a few minutes, uh, particularly yeah. that last action sequence when they're defending that town. Mm -hmm. uh, unbelievable. When I was uh, back in the day, I, for a, a period of time, I had the theatrical remake rights to the ABC television series Combat, which was a mainstay back in the 1960s with mm -hmm. Vic Morrow. And we were also trying to get a big World War II movie uh, uh, made. We didn't get we didn't get it made, although someday we may go back to it. But, uh, you know, World War II movies today are important. I'm actually in the process of developing a miniseries with my friend Arthur Friedman. We're trying to tell the whole story of Audie Murphy. Oh, yes, please. Oh, yeah. It's a great story. The whole story has never been told. The original movie, which was re re released in 1955, so it's literally 70 years old. Um, didn't tell the whole story. I mean, no. Audie, came, Audie, the most decorated soldier in our history, came to Hollywood and became a movie star. And that, that's the story we really want to tell. And we're crossing our fingers about that. Well, you keep me posted as those things develop or any of your other products develop. And uh, we can get you back on here and share some more so people can keep up with uh, what you got going on. Steve, thank you so much for hanging out and spending the time with us tonight. Thank you, Tracy. God bless you and stay safe out there. Oh, 100%. All right, there you have it, my Dark Horse friends and family. Steve Rubin dropping movie-making bombs on us. What stuck with you? Here's a few thoughts that kind of resonated with me. Thought number one, growing up as a movie kid, right out of the gate, Steve talks about the impact of growing up a movie kid or being a movie kid. Now, I'm not sure if that's as irrelevant today as it was, or maybe it's even more relevant today than it was uh, during my growing up, growing up years, which I think are probably about the same as Steve's. See, I too grew up as a movie kid, 
for a period of time, just like Steve, I even lived within walking distance of a movie theater. Now, regardless of the distance that I lived to the movie theater, I was a frequent visitor to every local movie theater wherever it was I lived. Now, as many of you know, my father was in the military, so that meant it was a lot of different places I grew up and uh, over my childhood. So it was a lot of different types of movie theaters. I mean, we're talking we're ranging from the, the cliche movie mystic style of mom pa run movie theater and for those of you who've seen the movie know exactly what i'm talking about to the full-on chain theaters but it was really the movies being shown that made the difference they impacted me and maybe you as well in so many ways i can remember one example here right uh, i can remember watching billy jack at the ripe old age of 10 in the theater on the military base in Bamberg, Germany. Now, why am I calling this one out? I mean, I could call out so many movies, right? Star Wars, Jaws, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think for anyone who's seen the movie, this one stuck with me as one of those, why do we treat them like that? message movies it taught me from an early age right just into double digits that were those that there are those out there even those within our own leadership government or otherwise that will treat a given group of people differently maybe just because of their ethnic background or their belief system or their way of life this is something that i had learned from my parents was completely our I spelled that right. W-R-O-N-G. It's just wrong, y'all. And it still is today. But yet, here we are, 50 years after the release of Billy Jack, still seeing certain groups of people being treated differently. And here recently, maybe in the past couple of years since the onslaught of a pandemic, maybe the groups of people uh, we've seen being treated differently have changed. But here's the, let me get back to the point, right? I got a little, I got a little way late there. Sorry about that. Uh, I've seen a number of movies and movie companies leverage their platforms to promote an agenda that is not so good for our youth, let alone for our country. And let's be honest, the world as a whole, right? Uh, but let me be clear here. Steve didn't call this out. This is me calling this out, right? So don't link this message I'm sharing with you right now to Steve. I have seen movies that in the not too recent past pushed agendas that are less than aligned with, let's call them core original American values. And that, my friend, I cannot get behind, nor can I support. Here's the thing. Look, if you want to go out and watch a given movie, whatever the movie title is, for the pure entertainment value, go for it. Enjoy it. That is your right. And I would never even try to take that right away from you. All right. But what I'm saying is that you need to go in there forewarned, right? And when I say forewarned, I mean be forewarned that some of those woke producers out there are wanting to guide you knowingly or unknowingly to a side that you may not like. Uh, and they're very willing to do it one film at a time. So be careful what you watch, how you take it in, and most of all, how you and your children are impacted by the messaging contained in it. 
Now, here's the thing. For, for those who listen to this podcast to this point, right? We're well 40 minutes into it. I think as an entrepreneur, I believe that you are probably a bit more mindful than the average Joe because you take the time to make sure that your message to your audience is pure and devoid of ill intent, right? However, that does not mean that the rest of the world is following your lead. There's a big difference between growing up a movie kid and growing up a, and being a grown up movie kid. Does that make sense? Huh? Right? Cause so many of those grown up movie kids are just going and absorbing that content and letting it guide their thought process and their life. And that, my friend, can lead you down a path you never intended. All right, let me get off my, my my soapbox here. Thought number two, do what you love. Steve is another one of those that learned this lesson early on. Uh, back when he came, was coming right out of college, he decided to write his first book. Now, given his passion for films, he decided to write a book on combat films, specifically those filmmakers that made those amazing World War II movies. Now, here's one of those lessons I've learned when it comes to doing what you love. That is, it doesn't always lead you in a straight line. Yeah? If I want to build on the theme that's going with this episode, and that's around films, I would take you back to when I was a late teenager, taking my mom's 8mm camera out to the front yard and choreographing fight scenes with the uh, neighborhood kids, much like those B-rated uh, ninja movies that came on on Sunday uh, early afternoons, right? Well, then we would start filming them, and later on, we would have these little viewing parties at my house or their house, different houses, right? And just to enjoy watching the movies that we made. Well, that wasn't enough. Then we found a park in Cerritos. I believe it was called Cerritos. Uh, it wasn't called Cerritos Park. It was called Heritage Park, and I believe it was in the city of Cerritos down there in Southern California. What was cool about this particular park, and I believe I've mentioned this in a couple of episodes before, is it had this island playground in the middle of it that was very much like something from Paul Revere's ride, right? It had slides and, and stables and, and all these different buildings at different elevations. It even had this um, one of by land, two of by sea type of bell tower that you, should, you could climb up in. Now, now we had a set that we could go to like, and set up these amazing fight scenes, uh, toss in a gymnastic mini tramp that I had, and we could do all kinds of crazy stunts and so on. But that, my friend, still was not enough. We wrote a script. The script was called Rockin' in the Fourth Dimension. And you can see this just goes on and on and on. These passions, doing what we loved, didn't lead us in a straight line, right? They started taking us through these adventures. And you can see this all started with a desire to teach the kids on the block how to fight. That's where this really started. I wanted to teach the kids on the block, some of them that were being bullied, how to use martial arts to defend themselves. And the strict kata routines of teaching them, they were bored with. That's when we pulled out the uh, choreographing and that pulled that into the eight millimeter cameras. And you know the rest of that story there. It turned into fight scenes. It turned into weekend adventures at Heritage Park, which turned into a movie script. All doing what I love. Teaching and engaging those 
that want to learn. So you see, do what you love, and what you love will guide you along the path. But you're going to have to take that first step, and then the next, and then the next. Thought number three, be willing to work on sequels. Everyone wants to work on the big events, that next big exciting project, or create that next hugely impactful experience or product. Here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen, and Steve shares this in his own story. Remember, he said that he worked on many sequels, Weekend at Bernie's 2, Porky's 2, Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which was, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Part 2, and so on and so forth. He listed a number of them. This gave him the experience and the connections to create his first feature film for Showtime called Bleacher Bums. Here's the deal. You have to be willing to get in there and get your damn hands dirty. Learn the ropes. Maneuver your way through the murky waters of life and business and relationships to earn your damn stripes. As they say, right? Earn your stripes. That way, when it comes your time to shine when you reach the front of the line people will believe in you and will have you will have that truly hard earned belief in yourself here's the thing take a moment and put the shoe on the other foot would you you're the guy or the gal that's about to give someone their first big shot on your project or maybe you're going to put the money behind their project are you going to go hire someone with zero experience and zero knowledge and zero passion for your project? Hell no, you're not, right? You you are not going to do that. You may not hire someone with perfect 100s across all three of those areas, experience, knowledge, and passion, but you certainly are not going to go out there and hire someone with all zeros. So why would you expect someone to do that for you? Get out there, do the grunt work, work on those sequels, get your damn hands dirty, and bring your numbers up to, uh, hey, at least bring them up in above the 50s, right? Maybe into the, uh, maybe when your time comes and you're at the front of that line and you're raising your hand, you at least have 75s across the board. Hopefully, 100 in at least one of those areas. And thought number four, picking the right subject. Steve touched on this topic, um, and I wanted to expand a little bit here because it's really important. Picking the right subject and medium for your content can and will have a huge impact on your ability to reach your audience. Remember, Steve mentioned this, right? He was able to sell 50,000 copies of his James Bond encyclopedia. That same topic and medium today would be far more difficult given the availability of that exact same information out there online. Now, it doesn't mean it wouldn't sell because for those of us like myself who would rather get that information via a well put together compendium of sorts, if you will, than getting out there and scouring through all the rabbit holes of the internet. That's just me. Uh, But the point is still valid that there, the information's out there for those that wish to seek it out. So for those that want to seek it out on their own, they're not going to go buy this compendium. But back to my point, picking a topic or a subject that covers a healthy spectrum of your core audience is key. Yes, I know micro-niching is a thing and it has huge benefits. But 
If you're, let's use the example of you wish to reach moms who have three or more kids, then perhaps the topic of dressing for girls' night out is not the right topic. I know, I'm using an extreme example for, for, you know, uh, example purposes here, right? But let's be honest, right? There's not a whole lot of moms out there with three or more kids that are really focused on dressing for a girls' night out. And it might happen every once in a while, so you could stand there and argue the point. Well, they do need to go out. Well, yeah. Now, let's take a topic like dressing your kids on a budget. Uh-huh. Now we have a completely different topic. Still kind of talk about dressing, right? Um, but here's the thing. More than just those moms of three or more, all moms might want to do that, especially nowadays with the, the rise we've seen in the past couple of years of inflation at 7%. Anyway, all the moms could get by that, but not just the moms, the dads and the grandparents could get behind this very same topic. Here's the thing. Let me give you five quick signs that you may be focused on the wrong topic or niche. Maybe this will help you out. Okay. So if you have a topic or niche in mind, Run it through these little thoughts right here and see if you think, hmm, maybe Tracy's got a point there. Number one, your topic is based on a trend. It, yeah, I get it. Okay, James Bond, some may say, is a trend. But let's be honest. James Bond has been around since 1953. So I think it's kind of proven itself in its st- st- sustainability. Man, my eye teeth tripped over my... My, yeah, see, I can't even, I can't even say a stupid saying like that. My tongue tripped over my eye teeth and I couldn't see what I was saying. Anyway, James Bond has been around a long time. So even though it may to some be, feel like a trend, it's not. If you're basing yours on a trend, it's going to peter out at some point. Hmm? Can you say fidget spinner? Pet rock? Okay. Next one. Huge businesses are coming at you from around every corner. Look. Here's an example. If you want to step into the soft drink businesses, well, you better be ready for a huge uphill battle. I would suggest you look for opportunities where you can make your name or your product such that you're not battling with the big boys. Unless, of course, you have big boy money to put behind it. Okay? Uh, Here's another one. Number three here. You're in the niche or you're doing the topic solely for the money. Mm-mm. This is a lose-lose situation, ladies and gentlemen. You are going to have to put in the work. We talked about this earlier, working on those sequels. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. And if you're in it just for the money, you are most likely going to be deterred at the first inconvenience or roadblock. And there will be an inconvenience and a roadblock. All right? And you'll need your passion to get you through those dips in the road. Number four, People in the niche or topic that you're you're looking to get into or are in, yeah, they're broke. Hmm. You're going to have a hard time getting them to spend money they do not have. Just saying. And the last one I want to leave you with, you have a hard time convincing them to buy. Look, if you show them the features and the benefits of what it is that you have to offer and they poo-poo your product or your service... Then perhaps you're either focused not or you're not focused on the right topic or you have not built that to an interesting level yet. You should be able to create a product or a service that when you present it, its features and its benefits, you're like, man, that's just what I've been looking for. All right. Just my thought. What inspiring tips, ideas or thoughts resonated with you? 
whatever they were, take some time today, even right now, and write them down. That way, later on, you can put them into action. You need to get out there, run your race, get your results. And you know what I want you to do? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want you to reach out to me and let me hear about them. Seriously, email me, tracy at darkhorseschooling.com. Share the tips or ideas that you came away with, how you put them into action, and what results you gained. I will even bring you on the show and let you share your story. Now, next week's interview episode guest, yeah, he lost the entire business he had built up and was doing very well with as a result of the pandemic. I want you to come listen to hear how he rebuilt, he pivoted, rebuilt, and what he learned as a result. Now, I know you want to keep getting all these amazing stories from the folks I'm lucky enough to bring on this show and the valuable tips and inspirational stories that come with that. So please go on down there, hit that subscribe button. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and drop us some kind words in the reviews. Ask a question, leave a comment. I read every single one of those. And of course, do not keep all this entrepreneurial G-O-L-D all to yourself. Share the podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners that you know will get value from it. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.